Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry of Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out thelivingroomatl.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. What's up, Buckhead? You guys okay? You guys all right? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, welcome to the Living Room. My name is Samer. As Matt said, I get to lead the living room uh, up at Woodstock, uh, Woodstock, Kennesaw area, and uh, love being down here whenever I get the chance. Matt, wherever you are, thanks for having me. I love hanging out. This is my first time uh, down here at Buckhead uh, in the auditorium. This is exciting. This is amazing. Uh, this is so cool. I love that you're in here, and uh, it's an honor to be with you all tonight. As we continue uh, the series that we kicked off last week called Over It, where we've been talking about stress, and we'll talk about stress worry, and anxiety. And before I get any further, I know Matt kind of mentioned this uh, last week, but I want to be really, really clear uh, about our intention and our hope for this series. Uh, One thing that I think is helpful to know is that stress and anxiety are not synonyms. Stress and anxiety are not the same thing. One leads to the other, but they are not the same thing. That you can be stressed and stressed out, but not be anxious. Now, if you're stressed out long enough, that can lead to anxiety. Uh, but, and you can also be anxious and have moments of anxiety and even have an anxiety attack or anxiety attacks, plural, and not be clinically anxious. So for the vast majority of us in the room, we're in this, hey, stressed out, life is crazy, school is hard, there's a lot of things going on, um, I wanna marry him, he just doesn't know it yet, kind of thing, right? Um, and then, right, uh, okay, chill. Uh, and then there's this, hey, but, but life can get so stressful, and we talked about overwhelmed and overcommitted and overexposed last week, that didn't get to a point where we can become anxious, and we have these moments where we have anxiety attacks. For many of us, that's where, we live, and, and, and our hope is that during the course of this series, that if you're in one of those two camps, that this would be extremely, extremely helpful and hopeful throughout the course of the series. But for many, uh, for others of you as well, um, that anxiety, when it becomes unmanageable uh, because of uh, many other factors and maybe even uh, brain chemistry, it becomes unmanageable, and professional care and attention is required. Even medicine is required. And what I wanna say to you is that um, you might be able to glean a thing or two from this series, and, and we hope that it can potentially be helpful in some ways, but what I want you to know that if it isn't, that's okay. Uh, if it isn't, there is nothing wrong with you. If it isn't, there's nothing wrong with your faith. If it isn't, what we believe here at Buckhead Church and what all of us believe is that we believe in a holistic approach to dealing with anxiety and stress, and we believe there is a spiritual part of that, that's the one we're qualified to talk about, so that's the one that we're going to focus on. But there is a counseling and a therapy and even a medical side to anxiety. And so if you find yourself in that camp, here's what I want you to know, we hope you track along with us and we hope that there might be something you can grab onto. But anything that we talk about, hear me loud and clear, anything we talk about during the course of the series is not meant to replace something that you've got going on. It's not meant to replace, for those of you that have been prescribed medicine, it's not meant to replace that. It's not meant to replace counseling. It's not meant to replace therapy. No, no, we just wanna give you one more tool, one more tool coming from a specifically spiritual perspective to add onto your tool belt to navigate this struggle. But we're with you and we're behind you and we want to walk alongside you whatever that looks like. It's a personal topic for me. Uh, in the past three years, I've experienced more stress and anxiety than I ever have in my entire life. In fact, for the first time in my life in the past three years, I've even experienced anxiety attacks, something that I'd never experienced 
before. Uh, in 2018 was kind of the year where it all kind of culminated for me. You ever have a year where it's just, it's just everything happens, good and bad, and it's just absolutely crazy, okay? 2018 was that year, some of y'all are like, uh, how about every year? Uh, <laughs> preach, I'm gonna try. Um, but 2018 was that year for me. Uh, it was one of those years where there was a lot of good and a lot of bad, and it was just crazy. In the course of seven months, in 2018, in the course of seven months, um, I had major surgery to remove my left kidney. I bought my first house with my wife. We renovated that house, um, and we welcomed our first child into the world, all while living in my parents' basement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can clap for the baby. Uh, it was crazy. Uh, it was a hectic time, and it all started, it all started uh, on a Thursday night in February in 2018 at a Baptist church in Sandy Springs in a church league basketball game. That's right. Played in a church league basketball game, actually with Matt. We were known as the ATL Sleepers. Uh, you sleep, we eat was like our, our mantra. We got an Instagram account. I believe it's still live. Uh, I have not been asked back. Um, I'm not sure if they're still playing, but if they are, I'm not offended. Um, not great at basketball, but I like to try. And so church league basketball, I mean, you go all out. It's like you got nothing else to go live for sports-wise, so you give it everything that you have. Church league basketball might be the most, it's the place with the most emotionally unhealthy Christians on the planet, okay? And so I'm out there laying it on the line. Like, I can't ball, but I can put my body out there for the team, okay? And so I'm coming up, and, um, and I'm, I go to set a pick on, for one of my teammates, and if you, if you don't know what a, what a pick is, it's when you go stand in the way of a defender so that they run into you and then your teammate can get around them and go score. Now, the best kind of picks are the ones that the defender doesn't see coming so they can't get around you. Well, me and all of my zeal, I went to go set a pick for a dude that I had no business setting a pick on. This dude had me but at least 100 pounds, okay? And that's not saying much, look at me, but still. So I go set a pick on this dude, and he doesn't see me, and he comes straight into my gut. And I, I fall, I'm feeling it, but of course I play it off. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get you next time, bro. You know, like, I'm like, I'm trying to play it off, like it's no big deal. I'm dying on the inside. I call for a sub because I'm thirsty. Yeah, okay, I can't breathe. So I go sub out, the pain won't go away. I didn't get back in the rest of the game. I was like, no, no, y'all good, man. Y'all got it. Yeah, y'all got this. I'm like, Ugh! you know, like I, I can't. I don't know what's happening. So I'm like, it's gonna go away. Eventually it'll go away. So I go home that night and the pain doesn't go away. Uh, you know, I, I get in bed and uh, I'm, I'm wincing in pain. My wife wakes me up at like two in the morning. She hears me wincing in pain. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I thought you were pregnant. I think I am, you know, like, I was like, what is happening in my stomach? Like, I don't know what's going on. So she's like, do you need to go to the, do you need to go to the ER? I was like, maybe. And so we, we go to the ER, and I'm, I am struggling. I get to the ER, it's like 2.30 in the morning. They give me some pain meds, and immediately I'm like, okay. I'm gonna be all right, you know? Under the care of a professional medical person, okay? And so I get relief, and I can finally like kind of, you know, breathe again. And so they go take a CT scan of my stomach. And so they get a CT scan of my stomach, trying to figure out what's going on. It's about an hour and a half later, they come back. My poor wife, she's pregnant. She's on this uncomfortable chair. And I'm just like, hey, what's up, girl? You good? Because I'm good. You know, it's like, what's up? Um, so they, they got, the doctor comes back in and he looks at me, he goes, uh, Mr. Massad, he said, have you ever had any kidney issues? I was like, no, why? And he says, because your kidney is huge. I was like, 
I'm sorry, is that a, that a technical term or I was in a hospital. He says, your kidney, is, your left kidney is nine times larger than a normal kidney. I'm, like, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> he goes to show me the scan of my, of my CT. We're about to get real intimate here tonight, people. Uh, I'm about to show you all my insides. So this here is my normal kidney. This was my, y'all think I'm playing. I was carrying a child, people. <laughs> my kidney, my whole life, had been filling with fluid. That was six pounds of water in there. I mean, that was heavier than the weight my daughter was born at, okay? Yeah, so I'm gonna, t I'm gonna take that down before some of y'all throw up a little bit. So I, I, came, I had a urologist, like, a multiple urologists tell me, hey, that's the biggest kidney I've ever seen. I was like, well, appreciate it, thank you. <laughs> Do what I can, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it just kind of blows our mind. Like, I, I'd never felt it before. I mean, it was never a thing. We couldn't believe it. My brother is a chief resident at Emory. He's a doctor. He saw it, and he's like, what? I feel like a failure of a brother. Like, I should have helped you. I was like, you think? You know, we had no idea, you know? And we got to get this thing surgically removed because, man, it could get infected. And so that's just a whole process. And so um, I go get, the, get it surgically removed. And thankfully, the surgery went well. But it was a process. We had to spend a few nights in the hospital. And my wife is six months pregnant this time. And she so stubbornly loves me. She won't go home and sleep. She stays at the hospital with me. And I can't pick up anything for eight weeks. That's more than like 25 pounds. So I just feel useless. But what's crazy is to add on to it, a week after the surgery, I'm recovering at home, get some crazy pain. Turns out I had developed a blood clot in my right lung. I, yeah, I get to the hospital and they, you know, I'm there for four days and the doctor's like, man, you could have died. I'm like, bro, chill. My wife is right here. And she starts crying. I'm like, see, this is your fault. Now you have to, you have to tell her I'm going to be okay. You know, but spent four days in the hospital. We spent Easter Sunday in the hospital, my wife pregnant and all. It was crazy. It was crazy. Finally got to go home and we're still living in my parents' basement because we had just bought a house. Now here's the deal, buying a house is awesome, but when you fork over any amount of money that large, it should stress you out a little bit, okay? But then we also were renovating the house. Uh, and so, you know, we, 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 had some, um, we had some time to kind of get it ready before baby came. So we do a pretty big renovation on the first floor. I mean, we are knocking down walls, brand new kitchen, a bunch of floors, all this stuff. I mean, it looked like an HGTV show in my, in my house. And on TV, they make it look so cool, and they make it look so chill. It's not. It's so stressful. It was awful. So many decisions to make, so many things that you gotta decide. I already have trust issues, so I didn't trust the single contractor that I worked with. The guy that I had, he did the best that he could putting up with me, but it was just crazy. I promised my wife that it would be done before the baby was born. We finished four days before Harper was born. Me and my dad are installing our washer and dryer in the laundry room when my wife goes into labor upstairs, okay? I mean, we were cutting that junk close. Finally, it did end with a nice bow. On September 3rd, 2018, Harper was born. Um, yeah, she's over a year old now. If you wanna see what she looks like, go to my Instagram. You don't have to follow me, but she is so cute. Just go look at what she, she is unbelievable. Kinda looks like an alien there. Uh, but. Most of them do. Um, it ended well, but within those seven months, I'll tell you what, I woke up, I can't tell you the number of times I woke up in the middle of the night 
having these moments of anxiety where I would wake up and my heart was pounding, my eyes just wide open, my stomach churning, I'm sweating, I'm having a hard time breathing, I'm restless and I can't sleep. And it sounds funny to talk about it now, but it was about all sorts of things. It was about um, cabinets. It was about the foundation of our house. It was about my health. It was about thinking about my wife's health and the stress she's gone through and how that might affect the baby. It was about the fact, am I ever gonna get out of my parents' basement? It was so many things and I was experiencing a level of stress and anxiety that I had never experienced before. I was having trouble sleeping so much so that my wife was like, you need to go see a counselor. And I was like, you are absolutely right. I'd never experienced it before. I didn't know what was happening in my body, but I knew something was off and I knew something wasn't right. And so for a few minutes tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about um, what is happening in your body and in my body when that happens. That year led me to do more research and reading on this topic than ever before, because I wanted to learn as much as I could to figure out what in the world was going on in my mind and in my heart and in my body. And the crazy thing and the interesting thing about anxiety is that not all anxiety and stress is bad. In fact, we need a level of stress and anxiety in our lives to keep us alive and to even keep us productive. But to really understand the problem, and tonight I want to give you one thing that you can begin to do. We've got to understand what's actually happening in our bodies when anxiety attacks, when anxiety gets to a point where we're waking up, where we're stressed out beyond belief. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a biology lesson, um, and I want you to stick with me because this is really, really important and I think really, really helpful. Now, your, your body has a bunch of different systems that make up the body. One of those systems is the nervous system. Maybe you remember hearing about this. The nervous system is basically in charge of all of the body's conscious and unconscious movements and responses. Uh, your brain sends out signals to all of your body, and it responds. Some of it you're consciously doing, like me moving my hands right now, some of it is unconscious. Um, you don't think about it, it just happens because your body is amazing. So we've got the nervous system, um, and, and one of the subsystems of the nervous system is what's known as the automatic, ner sorry, autonomic nervous system. I spelled that wrong, that's on me. The autonomic nervous system. And what the autonomic nervous system is in charge of, it is in charge of all of the unconscious things that your body does. Um, think of things your body automatically does. That's what uh, this system handles. Now, that system is broken up into two subsystems, the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. Now, try, follow me here. The parasympathetic nervous system, this takes care of things when your body is at rest, like producing saliva. You don't have to, you don't have to try to produce saliva. Your body just does it, right? You don't, this is digestion. You don't like eat pizza and you're like, mm, can't sing, gotta digest. You know, like you don't do that. Your body just does it. It, it. It's at rest and it takes care of it unconsciously. The sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is in charge of the body's fight or flight response. Maybe you've heard of fight or flight, but fight or flight is your body's automatic response whenever you are faced with a threat. It is your body's automatic response whenever you are faced with a pressure-filled situation. Whenever you are in danger or any part of your well-being is at risk, fight or flight takes over. You either fight to stay alive or you flight, run to stay alive. 
Let me give you an example. Let's say um, you had the day off and you wanted to get out into nature, so you go to Piedmont Park, right? And um, there's no bears in Piedmont Park, but let's pretend that there was a bear in Piedmont Park, and you didn't know about it. And so you're walking through Piedmont Park, and behind a tree, which wouldn't make any sense, but just go with me here, a bear pops out right there in Piedmont Park. Some of you are like, man, don't need to be a bear. It can be a spider, you know, like you're zero to 60, but it's fine. We're going with a bear. Bear comes out. Immediately what happens is your body, an immediate neurochemical reaction happens and your sympathetic nervous system kicks into overdrive and a chemical called cortisol gets pumped into your brain and you basically hulk out. Uh, your, your, your vision gets laser focused. You start breathing heavy. Your heart starts pumping more, more blood to the rest of your body and starts beating faster and faster. And all you do is whatever it takes to survive. In fact, whenever this happens, your bladder, your bladder kind of relaxes. You ever heard the phrase, I was so scared I peed my pants? That's not a joke, that's science. The sympathetic nervous system has kicked in and you are gonna do whatever it takes instinctually to survive the bear. You either fight or flight and it all happens without you even thinking. It's a good thing. It's the thing that keeps you alive. I know it's extreme, but there's a bunch of examples. It's the thing that keeps you alive. That is anxiety working in your life and in my life in the way that God designed for it to work. But not only does it keep you alive, it actually keeps you productive. I want you to think about your life. You've got a, a paper due, and you've been putting that junk off forever, and then the night before you start feeling something, you know, it's something down here, and whatever reason, you crank out the greatest paper you've ever cranked out in your life the night before. Yeah, all you slackers, go ahead and clap for yourselves. It's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Just kidding. You're not slackers. I get it. That there is, this, there is this anxiety that makes you productive. You don't want to fail the course. You got to get it done. You know, it's due tomorrow, and it forces you to get things done. In fact, there is this um, a researcher at Boston University. His name is David Barlow. He's the director and founder of uh, the Center of Anxiety and Related Disorders. And this is what he said. He said that without anxiety, little would be accomplished. Some of you are like, yeah, that's why I wait till the last minute to do things. He said the performance of athletes, entertainers, executives, artisans, and students, hello, would suffer. Creativity would diminish. Crops might not be planted because you got nothing to be anxious about. You're not worried about going hungry. This would be as deadly for the species as nuclear war. Dang. So there's this anxiety that actually not only keeps us alive, but it keeps us productive. That anxiety was meant to function in a very specific way in your life and in my life. How ever. Anxiety begins to rob you of the life that God wants for you whenever fight or flight gets activated and there is no immediate threat. Anxiety, anxiety becomes debilitating and anxiety begins to be the thing that keeps you up at night whenever fight or flight gets activated and there's no proverbial bear staring you in the face. 
that your body is going through those physical reactions, yet there is nothing immediate to fear. That when anxiety strikes, but there is no immediate threat, that means that, means that we are um, anxious over an imagined future event that we cannot control. What science tells us is that anxiety is always future-oriented and is driven by fear. The anxiety that paralyzes you and the anxiety that robs you of your best life is always future-oriented and it is always driven by fear. I want you to go back to 2018 with me and and the year that I went through. Um, I was not anxious because my kidney was massive. I knew that. There's nothing I can do about that. I was anxious about what the future complications could be of the surgery and of me not being able to do the things that I need to do to take care of my wife. Um, I was not anxious that I had bought a house. No, I was anxious that three months from now, I was gonna find out that I bought the wrong house. I was not anxious that my wife was pregnant. No, no, I was anxious about worrying about her safety and worrying about the well-being of our child given how crazy our life had been. Anxiety is always future-oriented and driven by fear. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what-ifs. It's a meteor shower of what ifs. And I'm not talking about the anxiety that keeps you alive and it keeps you productive. I'm talking about that kind of anxiety that robs you of your best life. What if things don't work out? Oh, what if I don't get the grade? What if I don't graduate? What if he doesn't come back? What if she doesn't come back? What if they don't get better? What if that bill doesn't get paid? What if the money doesn't come through? What if I don't get that job? What if I don't get into that major? What if I don't get that internship? What if I don't figure out what I'm going to do after college? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And they snowball and it snowballs and we go down this unhelpful trail of thinking that leads us to the worst case scenario and nothing's even happened yet. You ever been there? That all of a sudden you're thinking about the worst case scenario and you just sit in there in your dorm and there is nothing other than your mind going down a trail of what is that snowballs into a trail of unhelpful thinking. Watch this. That begins to sabotage your mind and sabotage your heart. And all of a sudden you're trapped and you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, but you're imagining something that isn't even happening, maybe even it's unlikely, and maybe if it is likely, it isn't happening and it hasn't happened yet. It's a battle of the mind that this unhelpful thinking begins to sabotage us and it begins to affect every part of our lives. It begins to affect our view of God. It begins to affect our view of our faith. It begins to affect even our day-to-day ability to focus and even for some of us, our day-to-day ability to function in a normal capacity. If you were to go to a therapist uh, to, to work through anxiety, one of the things my wife has a master's in counseling and we've talked extensively about this. One of the things that they might um, practice with you is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And the baseline for kind of the, the cognitive behavioral therapy technique is that we all have thoughts that influence our feelings that lead to behavior. We all have these thoughts. It all starts in our minds. It's a battle of the mind and it leads to feelings, a feeling of fear, and then it leads to 
behaviors that all influence and it's this, this cycle. And so you can now begin to imagine, and again, this is not even theology, this is just science, that this unhelpful way of thinking begins to influence every part of your life. And it's why for so many of us, stress and anxiety has kind of got a hold and we're not quite sure what to do. So that's how anxiety works. And that's why so many of you are feeling the things that you're feeling. And that's why, you wanna talk about all the mind, that's why, and I've got friends, I've got family members that this is true of, that there is a chemical imbalance in the brain and they have to be on medication for the anxiety just to get to a point where they can talk about it. This unhelpful thinking, this imbalance, and for so many of us, it isn't an imbalance of a brain that leads to medication, which for some of us it can be, but for so many of us, it's this unhelpful thinking that leads to a snowball of what ifs, and we're left wondering what to do. So tonight, I wanna give you one thing. I wanna look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote in a letter that he wrote to his friends in Philippi, and it's Philippians. It's in our New Testament. And here's what you need to know about the uh, Philippians and what you need to know about while Paul was writing this. If there's anybody that understood, if there's anybody that understood um, anxiety and fear of a what if, it was the apostle Paul. Because the apostle Paul wrote his letter, Philippians, while he was in prison, awaiting to know his fate. He was in prison, essentially waiting for somebody to tell him whether he was going to live or be executed for his faith. So I want you to imagine in that context what the what-ifs could be if that was you. Could you imagine being in a prison cell awaiting to hear whether or not you're going to lie, live, or be executed because of your faith? If there's anybody that understood anxiety and the fear of what if, it was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, within that context, writes this to his friends who are worried about him. Philippians chapter four, verse four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Choose joy. This is Paul writing, choose joy. No matter what you face, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, I want you to choose joy. How can Paul, who is in prison, who is in chains for the gospel, who might die and eventually does die for his faith, he's executed because of what he believes about Jesus, how can he, awaiting to know his faith, how can he write to his friends, rejoice, choose joy no matter what? It's simple. The apostle Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That for the apostle Paul, the Christian joy was not rooted in the temporal. It was not rooted in the circumstances. That for the apostle Paul, here's what he knew, is that the Christian joy is deep-seated and it is rooted in something bigger than our circumstances. It is rooted in something bigger than our fears. It is rooted in the hope that is Jesus that the Christian joy is rooted in the fact that we follow a savior that stared death in the face and said, I win. And for the apostle Paul, he says, I'm gonna choose joy no matter what I face because on this side of heaven, because of my faith in Jesus, even the worst thing that could happen to me is death. It's nothing but a comma because Jesus came back 
to life. That what anxiety and stress, what it wants to do, it wants to steal your joy. But stress and anxiety, it can't steal your joy. That you can be stressed and still have joy. That you can be anxious and struggle with anxiety and still have joy. Because your joy and my joy, when we put our faith in Jesus, is not rooted in the circumstances. It's not rooted in what could be or might be. It is rooted not in the circumstances around us, but it is rooted in the one that lives inside of us. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God that resigns in anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. That's why Paul could write with full conviction, rejoice in all circumstances. I say it again, choose joy. He goes on, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is here. The Lord is with you. And then he goes on to pen one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. Your grandma's got this junk cross-stitched over her toilet in her bathroom. He writes this in Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, some translations say. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, the apostle Paul says, no matter what you face, no matter what you are going through, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. With prayer and petition. I love that the apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, just get over it. Hey, just try harder. Hey, just think really, really good thoughts. No, no, no. You know what the apostle Paul says? Hey, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, look beyond yourself. You can't on your own. You are incapable. You will be run down. You will be beat down. It's not going to go very well for you or very long for you. So look beyond yourself. I want you to present your requests through prayer and petition to God. Give them to someone who can. Bring them to someone who can. I love what C.S. Lewis, a theologian, wrote. He said, pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. You don't have to fake it with God. You don't have to put on some Christianese anything when you're sitting in your room all alone with God. God wants to know what's in your heart. He wants to know the stress. He wants to know the anxiety. He wants to know the fear that you have. So don't pray what you think ought to be in you. I want you to present and give to God exactly what is in you. And then he says, with thanksgiving. What does that mean? It means that as we present the things that are going on in our hearts to God, that we bring them to God, we are also remembering the faithfulness of God. That you're remembering how God came through for you in the past. That you're remembering even though that situation did not go the way that you wanted to go, here you are still standing. Even though things didn't go the way that you wanted them to go, God brought you through it. You wanna drop something big on the what ifs in your life? Drop the faithfulness of God in your life on those what ifs. And some of you in the room might be like, hey, I don't, I don't even know that I have faith, so I can't look at the faithfulness of God. I get that. I guarantee you go sit down with a Jesus follower and ask them about God's faithfulness in their life. It will stir something in your heart and soul like you could never believe. So with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, it's a way to declare utter dependence on God while remembering the faithfulness of God. And Paul says, when, when you do, and not just like a one-time fix. 
when we begin to build this into the rhythm of our lives, when we begin to build this into the rhythm of our time with God, when we begin to build this into the rhythm of our mornings, or whenever it is that you spend time with God, when we do, he says, then the peace of God, the peace from God, which transcends all understanding, it doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is a military term. It means to build a fortress around. I love that. That the peace from God, the peace of God, it doesn't make sense. Samer, how does it work? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But here's what I do know, that the more you present with thanksgiving your request to God, that the peace of God, it not only comes into your heart, man, it will build a fortress around your heart and around your mind. And I love that the Apostle Paul said mind. It's like he knew about this unhelpful thinking thing that science tells us about today before they knew anything about science. So he says, it's going to protect your heart and it's going to guard your mind in the name of Jesus that rose from the grave. The peace of God. How? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how. The, the peace of God, though, it will guard our hearts in our minds, in the name of Jesus. And I love what Peter says. I wanna close with this. Peter, who also walked with Jesus, he wrote this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love this. Humble yourselves, look beyond yourselves, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. So I want you to cast, I want you to throw all your anxiety on him, why? Because he cares for you, because he loves you, because he wants more for you. My daughter Harper, she's almost 14 months and uh, man, I love her so much, it's crazy. I've never felt anything like it, it's unreal. And she is um, really good at letting me know when she needs something. She's really good at it, too good, way too good. Like whenever she's got a problem, do you know what she does? She cries out. Let me just tell you, Harper, she's not too prideful. <laughs> She's not too proud. She's not ashamed. No, no, no. If she's got a need that daddy could take care of, she's going to cry out. When she is scared, she's gonna cry out. When she's got a need that she knows she can't handle, but I can, when she's uncomfortable, she puts all that aside and she cries out. I just wonder how many of you in the room need to put aside the pride you need to put aside the shame. You need to put aside whatever it is that is keeping you from crying out to a heavenly father that cares for you. And you know what else she just started doing recently? Not only does she cry out, she started doing this thing whenever she needs something. She lifts her hands up and she does this. This is universal sign for, hey, pick me up, I need help. Whenever she falls and hurts herself, whenever she's scared, whenever she's tired, whenever she just feels like it, she does this. 
I just wonder for some of us, not only do we need to change the attitude with which we approach God, we need to change the posture with which we approach God. That we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand because he cares for you. And I don't know how, but I'm telling you, something about posture changes the attitude of my heart and something about posture is this doorway to the peace of God that transcends all understanding and it's gonna guard my heart and my mind in the name of Jesus. So what if? Like what if we started to present our requests to God? What if we built that into the normal rhythm of our life? What if we allowed the faithfulness of God in our past to reshape and reframe our perspective of the future? What if we stopped being so prideful and proud and began to make our requests known to God? Or how about this? What if we stopped being so ashamed and proud and sought out some professional help from people that God put on this earth. Did you know that every solution, including a medical solution, is something that God does? What would it look like to say, I can't, but I'm believing, whether it be through professional help, whether it be through medicine, whether it be through therapy, whether it be through time alone with God, whether it be through community, whether it be through the care network here at Buckhead Church, I'm gonna present my request to God because I believe that there is peace available for me. And what if every morning, Every morning you woke up, give me five minutes, five minutes, every morning you woke up and whatever it is that you're anxious about, rather than being anxious, rather than being afraid, you presented it to God, you gave it to God. And what if every morning we asked for the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that doesn't make any sense. What if we asked for that peace to guard our hearts and our minds in the name of Jesus? For some of you, I think for all of you, It'd be a helpful step, but for some of you, and not for all of you, for some of you, it could be the most life-changing step you have ever taken. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us, and thank you that you're with us, and thank you that you care. Thank you that you've got what's best in mind for us, and thank you that we can bring to you what we've got and I pray, Father, over the students of this room that your peace will begin to guard their hearts. It will begin to guard their minds against the what-ifs, against the unhelpful ways of thinking that sabotages their minds and their hearts. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, there might be students who might be begin to walk in a brand new freedom. We love you. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.